0: W Media.
1: This week I had the joy of being in a room of incredible activists in Boulder, Colorado to support, yes. to support the Boulder Valley Health Center. And part of that program happened the day of the arguments for the Mithy-Pristone case. So we decided to get together with my dear friend, Jess mason Piccolo, host of the Boom Lawyer podcast, managing editor of Rewire News, and have a conversation about what happened in that hearing so we could actually get it out to people real fast, talk about what Dobbs meant and what that meant for the hearing, and talk about activism in general. So without further ado, let's get to that conversation.
0: This is amazing. Like, this doesn't even feel like anything (laughs) except a really fucking amazing conversation that we are about to have. I'm so
1: excited to be here and to have it too, so thanks for having us, Boulder.
0: Yes, thank you so much for having us um, and for supporting um, independent abortion clinics at a time where that support is more crucial than ever, um, truly. Liz is pretty amazing. If you don't know her work, um, you should absolutely familiarize yourself with it. One of the things that, that I love most about Abortion Access Front, Abortion AF, is that immediately my head goes to abortion as fuck. Yeah. And they are. They own every bit, and it is exactly the kind of stigma-busting, narrative-changing work that is so critically important right now. So I just want to make sure and get that out there thank you we have a lot to talk about at some point someone's gonna have to take the mic away because I am a lawyer and a journalist and I have a mic in my hand
1: and I'm a snarky asshole so I'll shut you down so it works out right well, see how that works right so <laughs> we're I'm also just... friends for we have to say we're friends for 15 years yes so we go back. I'm not just being weirdly unfamiliar and saying weird things. Um,
0: this no, is our relation. It's all weirdly familiar. <laughs> yes, <laughs> what it is. It's amazing. I'm going to tell one little Liz uh, story, and then we're going to get right into it, because there's so much stuff to talk about. You may know that there was a big uh, hearing down in New Orleans, but out of a case out of Texas, and it was wild. Liz and I had the joy, pain. Sunshine, rain, responsibility <laughs> of covering it. So, and I'm sure folks have a lot of questions about that. But um, as as JJ mentioned, I am the executive editor of Rewire News Group. We are the nation's only media nonprofit dedicated exclusively to reproductive and sexual health rights and justice news. We are celebrating our 10 years um, as an independent media organization. And nobody else does the work that we do. No so one. if you care about this issue and you care about journalism, please go check out Rewire News Group. We do amazing work, if I do say so myself. I will say that too. And- as you may have heard, there's a little lawsuit challenging mifepristone, which is one of two uh, pills currently used in this country in the medication abortion regime. Mifepristone happens to be safer than Tylenol. I feel like I should just, or aspirin, I should just say that right now because there's a lot out there about how dangerous this drug is and that's all horseshit, but you, know, you never know and so we're just gonna say it. Um, a group of uh, anti-choice doctors.
1: And a dentist. And a dentist. <laughs> I always have to interject and a dentist because if your abortion goes haywire, where you're going to go is the anti-abortion dentist to shame you and then not help you. That's um, because you work on cavities, I guess. Exactly. I have no Exactly.
0: Idea. <laughs> Pull a wisdom tooth. Sc- no. <laughs> I, yes.
1: <laughs> I don't know. It's just. I'm
0: sorry. Um, but, but so a group of, of anti-choice doctors and a dentist formed a political coalition, truly, and said, what we want to do is um, basically figure out a way to do a low-key national medication abortion ban, is what it is. And Aaron Hawley, Josh Hawley's wife, said, sign me up. I am your gal. We are going to do this. She's the lead attorney filing the case. And so they cooked up this group. And they cooked up a claim that Mifepristone was rushed to market and is wildly unsafe. And my math, I'm a lawyer. I'm not good at math. Mifepristone has been on the market 22 years-ish, we're calling
1: it. In the United States. It has been in Europe since 1988 and also used to 12 weeks in Europe. So I just want to lay out how advanced Europe is. So there's been some studies and some abortions. Yes. With this reg- regimen.
0: We, we've got some data. We've, yeah. A little bit of data has been collected. So at any rate, cooked up a lawsuit, found a willing attorney, and said, now all we need is a judge on our side. And so- But wait,
1: will you, before you talk about the judge, talk about what their claim is so that we then go to the judge, how they think that they explain their aggrievements? Because this part's fucking insane.
0: Okay, so where do we begin? Um, so first of all, they, don't, they hate the, the FDA. Like, let's be very clear, this is a medication abortion lawsuit, but this is about the power of the Food and Drug Administration to approve medications generally, so, like, good luck on vaccines or future cancer treatments or anything that they don't really like. And they don't have to have a reason other than it hurts their feelings. That's the equivalent of the legal theory of standing that they have articulated in this case. And standing for the non-lawyers in the room is basically the skin in the game that you have in order to bring a lawsuit. That way we don't have like any Tom, Dick, and Harry just filing a lawsuit unless, of course, you wanna challenge abortion restrictions in which case open season. Dentist. So they say the FDA just was wildly out of control in approving this medication functionally. And then they also say that, hey, by the way, there's this law from the Grant administration. President Grant <laughs> administration. 1878. Can I, can I give a little background on dude, Comstock? Dude. Comstock is great. It's okay. called the Comstock Act. So it's
1: some just like anti-sex aggrieved man in New York was like, I've discovered somehow it's unclear that they're sending all kinds of dildos and pornography through the mail or the Wells Fargo wagon or whatever the fuck was happening back then. (laughs) We don't know how we knew, but he got them all sent to his house and he Called up Congress, or whatever they had before phones, or was there phones then? I don't know. And said, I want to come to Congress with my treasure trove of dildos and give a display and show you what they're sending through the mail. And Congress was like, please come. Yes. He literally went, set up a display, and he said, they're shipping this through the mail. and they we, And they were like, well, we have to stop this. Yes. So we're going to have a law, and we'll name it after you, Butt Plug boy, <laughs> Comstock. And the law basically said that it is illegal to send through the U.S. mail uh, any abortifacient, anything that is pornographic, anything that will disrupt the moral fabric, I believe is the phrase, um, of America. Never mind collecting a bunch of dildos and then being shamey about it um so that law passed been on the books since 1878 and it is now being used how
0: Jess to challenge medication abortion mifepristone specifically but broadly more i mean there are a lot of clinic folks in here what don't you get in the mail related to performing an I want to
1: put a Victoria's secret catalog moratorium
0: Completely. I have another fun fact about Comstock. I mean, if you're going to say, yes, please. He was so obsessive. First of all, I think it was his daughter was what clued him in. He Uh hated her and slut shamed her like nothing else. That's not the fun fact. That's very
1: Joe Kennedy.
0: Very Joe Kennedy. But the fun fact is Anthony Comstock believed in his cause so much that after the Comstock Act was passed, he became a male cop.
1: Oh, man.
0: That's true, a male cop to enforce it.
1: Oh, so we had to go through everyone's mail and read all the porn?
0: Yes. This guy's a mess. Right? So a ma- anyhow, <laughs> poor thing. this is where we find ourselves in 2023. Anthony Comstock is looming large in what is honestly the biggest abortion fight that we have seen teed up. Even I think, like we knew Tobbs was coming eventually. But the potential for chaos and disruption if the plaintiffs in this lawsuit get their way cannot be overstated, truly. So they found a judge in Texas, in Amarillo. His name's Matthew Kismerich. We call him Maddie K on the Boom Lawyer podcast. We did a whole like little "You've Got a Friend in Maddie K" song. Um, <laughs> we were gonna bring up like the Toy Story dolls. It was a whole thing, yeah. but, it, but it didn't it didn't come together. He's a lantern jawed, handsome
1: man who's protecting women.
0: He is nothing but a chiseled jaw. Oh, on that guy. you're
1: like a man with a chiseled jaw and a haircut that could really just cut your hand if you touched it.
0: <laughs> Truly, he's a young guy, and he really, really, really hates abortion. Like, not just, like, your old, like, anti-choice, like, guys. He, like, in his bones thinks it's really bad.
1: Well, he came, uh, his whole career has been very uh, evangelical college. Yes. Um, he it was with the law firm he served at. We've all, I think, heard of the Federalist Society and Alliance for Defending Freedom. The law firm that he was at is larger it's the largest uh, law firm that solely does cases based on religious grievances. His law firm, just to give you an example of where he comes from, remember the, the coach who couldn't pray in the 50 yard line and went to the Supreme Court, defended him. Uh, one of the bakers, unclear which one, there's been so many. Some hate baker, you know, all the hate bakers, maybe. I don't want to tell truths that are not real, but, um, yeah, just, he's like very that
0: Trump appointee shocking, right? So there you go. That's what you need to know. And so they brought it to Matt Kismaric because they knew that Matt Kismaric would take whatever claim they made, no matter how farcical, no matter how removed from reality. And I have been covering the anti-choice movement for well over a decade right now. They were never really grounded in reality. But when I tell you that they have really lost the plot, That is going on right now. But it's all great from Matt Kinsmerich's standpoint, because what he said was, you know what? Look, I think you're onto something, guys. I really think that the FDA didn't do its job. I mean, definitely rushed it to market. Probably unsafe. Definitely we should be resurrecting a law from the 1870s as relevant and important right now and wrote a hundred and some odd page opinion where... Lawyers in the room? Lawyer adjacent people? Dealt with them enough? Okay, yeah. Nobody actually is going to claim that. Sorry, me too. It's okay. You're among friends. Um, But the very first footnote, lawyers love a footnote. A footnote does a lot of work for a lawyer. It tells you what's important and how you're going to snark because you can't do it in the body, right? You got to do it in the subtext. His very first footnote says, I am rejecting as unscientific the term I am instead going with the very scientific term in, medica- in the context of medication abortion of unborn child or unborn human. That was how this started. So we had a little brouhaha around that. The case then sort of rocket-docketed up to the Supreme Court who said, whoa, 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 whoa. what we're going to do is not let this ruling take effect. We're going to let the litigation process go you know, can take months, maybe even years, depending on if they ever get the damn administrative record out of cold storage in Alexandria. We'll get to that in a second. But they're, you know, we're going to, we're just going to keep the status quo as it is. But telegraphed all throughout that stay that they are interested in considering the reach of a law inspired by a man who came out of the Civil War and said, what I need to do is start hoarding dildos. Yes.
1: Yes and also just just to point out part of their case also is that the way the FDA looked at something in the year 2000 was arcane and needed to be reevaluated but an 1878
0: law is fine legit completely legit yeah so today a panel of judges on the 5th circuit court of appeals which is the federal a- appeals court that hears cases that come out of states like Texas, um, heard this case. They live-streamed the oral arguments, and it was the um, plaintiff's group and the dentist. <laughs> so it's going to be, and the dentist. Um, attorneys for uh, drug manufacturers, because the pharmaceutical company is like, hold up, what are we talking about here? Um, so there is this weird narrative where maybe big pharma comes in and, like, does saves, here, the day. saves the day that feels so dirty I feel so dirty even it's very
1: that. yeah because the truth is the company that makes the Mifepristone which by the way is the generic name yeah. for Mifeprex um the company that makes that called Danco they're like if you get rid of this we go out of business and yeah. that is a big fat no-no and there are cases that the, the one thing the Supreme Court loves to do is save a fucking corporation they sure do <laughs> for sure so, 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 it's like, are we in a by any means necessary situation? It's, yeah. Uh,
0: so, so, here we are. Um, they heard arguments saying, Aaron Holly was there, you know. Um, the judges who heard the case, um, we have two Trump appointees and a Bush appointee.
1: And it was. I mean. It, just, I know. It was. A, where do we start? Well, I think the, the sort of overall situation was, we all knew going in that these judges were not just stancy, it, it was really bad like one of the judges actually said that like abortion is a moral failing of society um and the attorneys that laid the case out uh, for our side were attorney for the doj um attorney for danco which is the pharmaceutical company and then aaron holly on behalf of the dentist so um <laughs> when our side started laying out just the facts of the case, she was interrupted instantly within 30 seconds of like, cut to the chase. We know this. What are you trying to say here? Yeah,
0: It was openly hostile.
1: It was openly hostile. And I felt like in listening to it, and I was trying to listen to it as like, as much as I could as a lay person. And what it really felt like was, What these people need to prove is that they actually have standing. They actually, and they keep saying over and again, the attorneys for um, the anti-abortion people kept saying that they're harmed and aggrieved and that because all of a sudden medication abortion is going to be sent through the mail, that somehow the emergency rooms in this country are going to be flooded with patients that no one is looking after and that these and that these anti-abortion doctors are going to be inundated with these patients and not be able to treat their other patients. So right on its face, you're like, who the fuck is having an abortion and then needing to go to a doctor and going to call, again, the anti-abortion doc? No one is calling you. Like, no one that even likes you was calling you. You get no calls. Your dance card is fucking empty. And so the whole narrative that the judges kept, kept insisting
0: was that they had a right to bring this case. Basically. Yes. So it's premised on a fiction and the, you know, I mean, I spent a lot of time in the law and that used to be the kind of thing that would not only get you laughed out of court, but get your license yanked in some cases, right? We don't just bring lawsuits that aren't grounded in reality. There's a process for disciplining attorneys when that happens, but none of those rules seem to matter anymore. So Liz got to the first part, which was the hearing. Everybody just should know, openly hostile to facts, openly hostile to reality, openly hostile to the law as we all know it, openly hostile to the women attorneys who were arguing the case on behalf of, the, of Danko the manufacturer and uh, the Biden administration as well. At one point, I distinctly remember Judge Corey Wilson, who spent some time um, on the Mississippi Court of Appeals. He's a young guy, he's younger than me. You're supposed to say, yeah. No.
1: <laughs> How is that possible?
0: and spent some time in the Mississippi uh, legislature as a Republican. So you already know what his credentials are on this and was basically like, why should we believe anything that the FDA ever says? Have you seen the FDA? Do you know the FDA? What is the FDA even? Literally, it was was
1: like a Seinfeld episode with the airing of grievances. It It was just like, and another fucking thing that they got yanked, and another thing that they got yanked, and the attorney, was like, they were presented with evidence with which they, the FDA, decided we're going to take this off the market. But he was going back to DES, you know, yes. the, he was going back, right? Yep. And the thing that you need to know, they filed, these people, these aggrieved doctors and the dentist, <laughs> The three big points that the manufacturer of Mifepristone made were A, none of these doctors could actually show that they were forced at any point to treat somebody for an abortion in any kind of post-abortive care. And, and, and that they their conscience, the, the conscience clause they were allowed to um, bring up, they never did one. The three cases that they cited of where they saw somebody where they had to do a blood transfusion or a blah, 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 were all pills that the patient had said were gotten in India. The FDA does not have jurisdiction in, in, so it's not even FDA approved drugs. And lastly, and the big part for them is telemedicine. How does that work? Can people give you a pelvic exam through the Internet? Like just fucking literally. Basically, that was a question. Yes. Are the pictures good? What's the screen quality like was one of the
0: questions. What's the hashtag?
1: You know, so dumb. So part of this is telemedicine abortions are unsafe. And the lawyer for Danco said, we aren't here to talk about how people procure FDA approved medicine. We're here to talk about did this medicine go through the rigors and are these people somehow harmed because of the process with which the FDA put this drug on the market. And so the third thing is none of these people could say that they had ever treated anybody who had received the drug through a telemedicine visit. So that's the whole those are the things they had to prove. And Erin Holly again, she married Josh Holly, so this is what we're talking about as a lawyer, was like, they would ask her, and she'd say, well, they would say, well, how are you aggrieved? Like, you need to tell me how these doctors are literally under duress. Yep. And she's like, basically, she was like, well, because abortion exists. And it's like, <laughs> that's not a thing. The way the pills are distributed have nothing to do with the case. These people hate abortion. Yep. And so these... These judges were desperately trying to again please help us help you is the anthem also with these right wing judges right all the time and so listening to them begging for Aaron Hawley to give them a reason and when she couldn't they just moved on and that was the part that felt really discouraging
0: yeah and that is a direct response and a result of the Dobbs decision, because not just because Dobbs overturned Roe and overturned Casey, but because Dobbs signaled to lower court judges that it was open season to do whatever the hell they want when it comes to abortion. Folks may not know this, but when the Dobbs decision was first taken up by the Supreme Court, the question before the court was not should we overturn Roe and should we overturn Casey. The question that was before the court on the original grant of certiorari by by the Supreme Court was should Mississippi's 15-week ban stand under existing law. Existing law at the time was Roe and Casey. Yes. Then, Justice Amy Coney Barrett got well, conferred. Wait, 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 just before, before you do launch
1: into, you know, I call her scary decisis. <laughs> scary decisis. It's a law joke. Six people get it. It's fine. I barely get it. But it went through that scary lower court we were just talking about said it wasn't okay. They went through it again and they said it wasn't okay. How that case got to the Supreme Court, we, because the Attorney General of Mississippi decided to go rogue and say, I'm gonna bring it to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court in the normal times have always said we take cases when there is a controversial issue that we need to settle. But the lower courts twice said, this is clearly bullshit. And then, but once it got to them, now launch into scary decisis.
0: It, she's right, all of that happened. So th- so this, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals twice said, nope, this law, Mississippi's ban cannot stand. Mississippi AG goes rogue, goes up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court doesn't reject the petition outright. It thinks about it and considers it goes call it a conference. The conference on the case, over a dozen times, then Justice Amy Coney Barrett gets appointed. Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg dies. Just Amy Coney Barrett, I do an imitation of her on the podcast because I am a Midwestern woman and she has a great voice. And it was decided today that now Aaron Hawley has to come into this yeah. as well. I'm going to do a parade of terrible white women on the podcast. That was the side. But... Amy Coney Barrett gets confirmed, and suddenly the court takes the case. And then, after the court takes the case, the first petition, the first round of briefing that gets filed says, hey, thanks for taking this case. What if, now, crazy, I know, but stay with me, what if we just switched up the question? I know, bonkers, lawyers are crazy. But they did. So instead of saying, hey, I know we asked you to uphold the Mississippi law, under Roe and Casey, what if we just forget Roe and Casey altogether? And they yeah. did, and they did, and they were just
1: like, "Hey, maybe abortion really isn't covered in the Constitution because the word abortion's not in the Constitution." You know what? The word Viagra isn't either. So die in a fire. <laughs> so many things aren't, and that's when we really yeah. That's when if you were unclear, the secondary opinion yeah, the 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 one of five opinions Clarence Thomas has ever written, uh, when he said. This is an opportunity yes. to revisit birth control, marriage equality. He didn't say interracial marriage, but I have a theory that <laughs> Clarence Thomas can't divorce Jenny because he's terrified ever so he would rather just make his marriage unconstitutional.
0: Yes. So he has a way out.
1: Like, I really, I'm not, this, I'm not. It's an
0: Article 3 annulment. <laughs> I mean, right?
1: I mean, I'm just saying, it's not on the not not on the realm of possibilities it's it's
0: it's, there is a universe where that is absolutely a possibility the piece that i wrote when the when the court took the case was that this is the case that will end roe versus wade and i got dragged for that they were like are you really so sure about that and i was like bitch they didn't take the case to say yes this court hates abortion they're not going to be like it's fine yes i love it but so my point on that whole rant is that because of how the Supreme Court behaved in in Dobbs. From there, we have seen all manner of federal judges now be like, well, if it's good enough for the Supremes, it's good enough for us. Precedent yeah. it, it who needs it? Right. And I think like that's a good place to sort of wrap, where this up. I
1: hope that we gave you at least some information of what happened today because we're not going to know. I don't know when we're going to know when they're going to rule. Probably. It'll be months. But just know this, it's going to the Supreme Court and we're, We have to be there. Yes. Right? So that's going to be a thing to just mark on your calendar, sign up for mailing lists, we'll be there. but So that's the case. And I think to the point, like, I've been talking to some of you just about the work and what does it mean? You know, we're sitting here, we're supporting this incredible clinic, but I think that far too often um, the reason people challenged you, Jess, in that piece was because journalism stopped prioritizing how to even write about abortion and how we tell the stories of abortion so when the crisis became real for them which was when the courts decided to take the case that's when sort of the mainstream media picked up on it the reporting was wildly terrible there it was gendered it was inaccurate they were using which they have forever anti-abortion talking points right and it was very sensational Right, It was was that there's good abortions and bad abortions sort of narrative that is always put out there. Like, who doesn't weep for an 11-year-old who has to travel from Ohio to Indiana? Those stories are horrible. But every single person who needs an abortions story needs to be honored, destigmatized, and needs to be catered to in a manner with dignity, right? Every single person. And, and watching what's happening now, North Carolina just passed a series of abortion bans that are terrible under this, guys. And, and there's, a, there's a similar thing brewing in South Carolina, too, where this whole, all of a sudden, arbitrary 12-week number is pulled out. And there is this whole sort of the mainstream media watch, and call them out if you can, saying, we've reached a compromise. It seems like consensus. Let us all be clear when we talk about abortion always with everyone Deciding you can come up with a plan with which there is a line you get to cross to take away someone else's bodily autonomy, that is extremism. Any abortion ban is extremism because it's deciding someone else does not have full authority. Over their lives. And so anytime that, and, and you'll listen because that respectability conversation is coming with this weird 12 week shit. And because we are in like hellfire times, the middle shifts, yep. the narrative shifts are what's normal shifts. And we have to make sure, I'm hilarious, <laughs> that the normal doesn't move. Right. And that's on us. Yes. It's not, don't ever, whenever somebody from the right tells you it's normal, it's not. The Lincoln Project, shut up. You built the foundation. You're not good. We're on to you.
0: One of the questions that, has come up for me frequently when I am speaking or, um, you know, uh, meet folks who are newer to the space or really energized as a result of Dobbs is, and particularly given the fact that Imani and I cover the federal courts, um, and that's a super fun topic to be covering these days, um, (laughs) that, you know, how do you... How how can people stay activated and not burn out and not get to the point where, you know what, fuck it, we can't do anything about the Supreme Court, so why bother? Right. I mean, for me, like, it's part of
1: the reason that I started my organization is because there was a cavernous hole in the space to do just that. Um, We sort of march, and then you kind of want marching orders, right? And so... I think a, um, taking in a whole bunch of information without an outlet is, is just not good for your mental health. No. But I also think that we started a program called Operation Save Abortion. And when they decided to take the case on Dobbs, I said, what we need to do is make sure that people can do something instead of just march with nothing to do. We need to help the organizations who are on the ground, who are smaller and desperately trying. We need to help grow activist bases by connecting with all of the activists on the ground. And my organization travels around the country a lot. Um, Part of the thing that we do is um, I gather musicians and comedians together and we do shows very much like this. Sometimes we'll do our podcast live. Sometimes we'll do like a variety show type thing with comic comedy music. And then we'll have conversations with the, with the local activists and the providers. And so we'll get 400 people in a room and then there'll be tables lined up. So it's kind of an activist fair. And then people can hear what they need to do in the space. And we've been to probably 45 States. I have visited over 300 clinics and What happened was we stay in the town for three or four days, and we developed relationships with these small groups. And it's like, wouldn't it be cool if you and your six-person amazing dope organization was part of a cool coalition where... If you're trying to do a fundraiser and you need someone to make you graphics, somebody else in the coalition can help you. We can all help build that. When you say, oh my fucking God, they're trying to make my city a sanctuary city for the unborn and we need people in city council meetings, um, we can help fill your city council meetings for you so that you know those things are happening, right? But in the course of doing that, and this part's nuts, I think I'm going on a tangent, but this is end up good. We started talking to them about the protesters outside of the clinics and about how profoundly terrifying they were. And the escorts know them by name, yeah. right? They know them. And, but sometimes they didn't know where they lived, so they assumed they were local. So as we're traveling and we're talking, somebody in Mississippi is talking about this local asshole, blah, blah, blah. And then Alabama's like, local asshole, blah, blah, blah. And we're like, um, he's Mississippi. Same guy. Same guy. So we were like, is anybody just making a list of these people's names with data? Nobody was. So we started a database and we have created the largest anti abortion database in the country. And the even cooler part is um, my partner um, at Abortion Access Front, her dad was a kind of a crackpot conspiracy theorist. And when he died, she found out that he had created like five Facebook accounts right when Facebook started so they were around since 2007 so we transform these Facebook accounts and join their churches and it's a am- and it's amazing because you can radicalize a Facebook account in 6 months from just kind of a nutty JFK kind of thing and within 6 months joining a church posting certain things the inundation and the friend groups, whatever. So we started joining their churches, and then we started watching their movements. They're 2A people. They're the big funders for Kyle Rittenhouse's defense. It's all intersecting, right? So when January 6th started brewing, we started watching them all say, we're going to D.C. We're all going to D.C. So we assigned people to watch these people. And when they got to D.C., We identified 30 of them. We pulled their footage down before they realized they were going to get in fucking trouble and reported them to the FBI. So, But that's not like, I didn't go into this work to be like the data collector. I went into this work to build community. And by asking questions and building community, we were able to find out other stuff and just take information and organize it. And so now there's a database for our whole movement to use. And it's really cool. So because we, because we made friends with all these small groups and we collected all this data, we were able to talk to them about what they were seeing their needs were going to be as we knew Dobbs was going to fall. And so each organization said, I would love to be able to onboard 20 more people, but I'm not going to be able to do it for six months. Because it's just too much, So can you provide a clearinghouse, take them, give them something to do, and um, and then eventually roll them out to us. So what we did was, um, we knew it was coming, so we organized this really incredible live stream that you can watch. We did a day of we called it Operation Save Abortion, and we have five different areas of activism that people could learn about. Um, legislative, direct action, funding, clinic, or, so clinic support, funding, and then learning about the reproductive justice movement and what that means. 45 minute sessions and then with a workbook. So people gathered with their friends in their living rooms and they watched a 45 minute session and then they did the work. Prompt questions, they could, they could do a little bit of the action of each and decide where they wanted to land. And we had almost 12,000 people sign up, which was sort of mortifying because we're trying to vet all these people. Um, <laughs> And um, they watched for eight hours. They watched the whole thing. So now it's on the website as singular episodes with the workbook. So if you want to get together with your friends, you could do that on your own time. But we're able to have this amazing activist calendar now that's on the website also. And we're able to engage these people and roll out these activists to these communities. They trust us. They know that we're going to give them exactly what they can handle. They know that we can basically do some some really cool activist tap dancing for them until they're ready to really take them on. It's, so that's it, like to answer. I think your question was, what can people do?
0: That's it's the thing. really <laughs> phenomenal. And if folks are if folks are interested, I cannot, rec- I cannot recommend it highly enough. And I know here in Boulder, talking about clinic protests, some of that feels remote, and it feels. At a distance, we are in the sort of infamous Boulder bubble here, and even as you know our clinics are squeezed in terms of capacity, it feels very safe. But the National Abortion Federation just released its incidents and violence report last week, and one of the things that we know is the anti-choice community is moving to where the access exists. So I want folks in this room to understand that Boulder feels safe right now, but we can't presume that Boulder will feel safe in six weeks from now, in six months from now, in a year from now. Yep.
1: And I also feel too like it's like, I'm so glad you're here and supporting this clinic because the truth be told, people know Planned Parenthood and I love Planned Parenthood because people know Planned Parenthood and and they have a local brand name, folks really understand where they're at. But it is oftentimes, and in every single one of the states that have zero abortions right now, it was an independent provider that shut down and independent providers are often the ones that will... Um, take cases that go in later gestational spaces, and they're doing the work that the community base feel and the, the feminist, organic way that community happens. If it wasn't for independent clinics and their relationship with the escorts, the escort volunteers, we wouldn't have been able to do this database because of the freedom and because of the risk and because of all of that. Um, we were granted access, and and that felt really good. And so when we talk about clinics like this one, the inundation is happening, and it's only going to get more. And so really staying involved with them is going to be crucial to do the work to, and to really help people get the access. Because for people who – you said it last night – Clinics are community now.
0: Yeah, clinics are community. I I believe that in our core. Um, So I've met a couple of you um, in the crowd who mentioned that you listen to my podcast, so thank you. Um, If you listen to the podcast, you have undoubtedly heard me talk about the need for joy in this moment. Um, We, uh, you know, the abortion rights and access injustice movements are on the tip of the spear in terms of the fascist movement that is sweeping across the country. We saw it first, we called it first, we named it first. And the thing that I want to remind everybody in this room is fascists hate joy. They hate hate joy. They hate it. And they're not funny. And we are so much funnier than they are. And it's like
1: also too, like, and this is really real. So like some of the stuff that we have done out on the road, just to give you an idea how we do clinic support and community building. There's a clinic in Detroit that was a lot of times the people who work at clinics. And if we have folks here that work at clinics, they don't get a time, a lot of time to hang with each other. And a lot of folks are single parenting. A lot of folks are working two jobs. A lot of folks are doing a lot of stuff. So there's not time to actually let them connect with each other and with the community. So clinic in Detroit really wanted to have the community get to know them because shit can get stigmatized. Things can feel weird. So. Our team was in Detroit. There was a park down from the clinic. Uh, We permitted the park. We brought a bouncy house. We got a grill. We got a DJ. We got a snow cone machine. And um, my team watched the kids, made the food, served the stuff. The clinic hung out with each other and then got to engage with the community. They didn't have to worry about sitters. They were actually able to grow that base and we were actually be able to provide that support for them to do that. And what's really great is the anti-abortion people see that. And then they often bring their kids to, um, to the, to the protest and to the clinic. And they have these big week long festivals where they'll just go, you know, attack a city. And so oftentimes when that happens, we will go and we make sure that we have bubble machines. We make sure that we have stuff so that children, See us in costumes and see that joy and sparks into their head that maybe there's another way, and that maybe at some point when they can have the autonomy to leave, they can think about something else that happens. And so I think that, like, the joy piece is profound and it also recenters everything that we're doing. If somebody needs an abortion, it's because they want to get their life back on track. And I'll never forget a physician saying to me, sometimes, Liz, I don't think that people think about the fact that when people are alone, and often they are when they need a procedure, that the first time anyone's ever been kind to them is when they get to me as the provider. So when you think about that role of the people doing this work, why I center providers profoundly is because I... I want them to understand that they deserve joy. Whenever you ask an abortion provider what they need, they'll fucking list off what their patients need. Every time. All the time. They never talk about themselves. Ever. And so to be able to do that is like really great work. And it also reminds you, and that's why we want volunteers. It reminds you why you care. Yes. When you see that you're like doing something lovely for a staff and interacting with the staff or the escort, it reminds you what you're doing. You know, if you're escorting patients, it reminds you there's a person, there's people, there's community that you are actually helping while this shit is going on.
0: I love that. What else is bringing you joy?
1: The things that bring me joy. Like I, I really feel like, I feel like activism is self-care for the very reason we said kind of early on, which is when you have purpose, when you're, when you're, this shit is happening, it really feels like a a release and a catharsis. One of the things that brings me great joy is in New York, once a month, and this is really fun, there's an anti-abortion Catholic church, redundant, there's a Catholic church (laughs) that is a six-block walk to the Planned Parenthood in the village. Once a month, they have a mass for the unborn. Once a month, my cohorts, gather outside the mass, and we, when the mass is out and they're walking down to the clinic, they have the mass and then they walk down to the Planned Parenthood so that they can protest. We stand outside the church, and we dance, and we bring music. And once a month, what is a four and a half minute walk takes an hour and a half, and they can't get there. That brings me joy. Love it. Liz Winstead, everybody. So it's getting people to be in community. You know, my my dream is to have people see our work, learn about our work, and then say, I've got five friends who are game. Can you help us do a thing? I'd love to get together and be part of some national action that you're doing. I'd love to be, go with, with you if you do go to DC and, and have a thing planned, you know? I don't know if when you saw during the Dobbs decision, the news media had gigantic heads of the horrible, that we made those heads, that was us. And then we had, what you didn't see was, we we had a rage area where we just stood with those heads and then people just raged at them. And so you could just scream, which was really fun. But it was really fun just to have those big, giant Supreme Court heads and then just be reminded of their garbageness. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh, the heads were great. Yeah, go do those a Google search. Heads. They were fantastic. Yeah,
1: the big giant heads. But we
0: do want to leave time in case folks have questions. Yeah, does anybody have Liz any questions? For me, about what we talked about. Yeah, Eliza. Um, are the fascists using the same label for gender for big Yes. And it's functionally the same people. Um, Yes. As a matter of fact, um, you know, they're, um, they're working in the same advocacy organizations, absolutely using the same playbook. And, you know, it's one that developed over time. A lot of the arguments that we heard today about complicity were floated in the anti birth control arguments around the affordable care act and the nuns. Remember when the big bad Obama administration forced nuns to hand out birth control pills from like a Pez dispenser? Yeah. Right. That was a real thing. If you ask the anti choice movement. So, so yes. Um, um, and, and given the work that, that Boulder Valley does, um, absolutely that is to be on the radar.
1: Yeah. And it's like they're the same people who are at Drag Queen Story Hour. They're the same people. Yes. Basically, the, the deal is create a morality that requires nothing of them and that solidifies that patriarchal white supremacy narrative, right? Yeah. I mean, think about it. When you just have a litany of shit you hate in the name of Jesus, you don't have to do shit. Yeah. No one asks anything of you. And then you're just aggrieved. And then you get to have a moral fiber because Jesus. When we all know if you actually followed the teachings of Jesus, it's hard fucking work. That Mm -hmm. shit's hard because you're constantly thinking of others. You're constantly evaluating how you can be part of a solution and then deciding to commit to that.
0: They never have to commit to shit except their own bullshit. That white supremacy piece is so important because our favorite dildo hoarder came out of the Civil War. Yes. With the idea that he was rehabilitating fallen white soldiers from the South. That was part is of... Is that the how
1: system. dildos became called the back massager? I think so. Oh. If not, let's say it is.
0: I think so. But, but I mean, truly, like, to really, to really put the name on it is, is important.
1: Yeah. So as we devolved to healthcare by zip code... Uh, how do we how do we look at all the need for a federal level guidance um, mean, or whatever we want to call this legislation? I mean,
0: how do we get it back up to the
1: federal level and not healthcare? I mean, isn't that the most important thing? Because who wants to have healthcare every two years figuring out what the fuck is going on, right? I mean I think honestly, I don't know about you, Jess, but I often am more angry at the good people, the good people than I am at why the fuck has an 1873 law been on the books when we had the fucking trifecta? Literally, you know? we could
0: repeal the Comstock Act. And also, the thing Congress could do.
1: That's exactly right. And also, there's a law on the books right now that's in the 1996 Telecommunications Act that Janet Reno and Bill Clinton said, N- no problem, that said that you cannot talk about abortion on the internet. It is fully says that. It is on the books right now. It is a law. It never got repealed because who's going to do that? You know, and so um, when I look at that and when I look at how much we've been marginalized, how often we have all been told, Abort, your, it's a silo, it's a wedge issue, you're causing problems. Why are you bringing this up? Always dismissed. And so, what we need to do, I don't want to say maybe it's good, but watching this happen dumping some of these fuckers that won, that shouldn't have in the next congressional election, trying to keep the Senate and demanding that they go back to a row-based codification so that we can have that. I think it could be different. And I think that we need to really be working on targeting some of those seats, I mean, is it possible Lauren Boebert could go? Could this guy throw out seven, I mean, 700 votes, like that would be awesome, right? I mean, George Santos, like that New York fiasco, New York was a fiasco because elitist faces in the, the DCCC <laughs> ignored, so we would have held the House unprecedentedly in a midterm election, and we didn't because the guy who was in charge Lost his own race, winning, so I think that's I think that's what we need to do, and I think that I think people will be fired up. It's going to be really interesting in twenty twenty four you know, we'll just see. We all know kind of where we're at now. Yeah. What do we do with it? I think is the question, and helping mobilize that
0: and twenty twenty four really is just to put the finest point possible on it. the first election we have had since the Supreme Court has stripped away a right that it had previously recognized. This is truly an unprecedented time in terms of. This of where the country is at, and just to drill down even further, n- there will absolutely be conversations. There already are around a national abortion ban. This is what holding the Senate, what holding the presidency, what holding Congress is really about in 2024. Mm-hmm. Is the reality of a national abortion ban, which is and abortion's more good. popular than any politician. Literally, you know. I mean, like that's just true,
1: right? And so when you look at that, and you look at, at where we're at, and you look at some of the states, like as we drill down, ob departments and hospitals are closing in Idaho because people can't practice there. You know, people, students aren't going to med schools in red states. Kids aren't going to college in these states. And so as we look at the snowball effect of what's happening, how long is it? Before we, the women of Iran should inspire us all. And it's sort of shameful that we're not in the streets. Because how many women have to stand in the parking lot of a hospital and hemorrhage and have sepsis before we say that is not enough? Because it's happening every day. Not sometimes. It's not an anomaly. It's happening every fucking day. And so this is why, again, going back to the movement piece, we have... Providers doing incredible care. We have incredible abortion funders, people funding people to travel. We have people doing really good legislative and policy work. But until we are actually able, and Jess and I have been talking about this, funded to mobilize people to take to the streets and make sure that when they're in the streets, they're doing something proactive, something fun, something inspiring, something that makes them want to go again, and then something that also keeps them active when they're not there, that piece doesn't exist in a way because if we say we care, if, we say, if I say I care about this clinic, it means that I have to do everything in my power to make sure you simply get to do your job. That's what I want you to be able to do. I don't want you to have to fucking correct the record. I don't want you to have to fucking have protesters outside your house. I don't want you to have to fucking correct the, the facts on abortion. And I don't want you to have to defend yourself for fuck's sake. I don't want it. It's one thing we can do. Don't make doctors defend themselves. Why would we allow
0: that? I don't know. Abortion's a democracy issue, folks. It's a democracy issue. One more question, then I think they're going to pull us off the stage. Yes, probably. I know.
1: We could talk all night about abortion. We have the two wrong people. I was
0: just curious are there legal mechanisms or are there any efforts underway to hold the lawyers bringing these cases, these bogus cases at the lower level? Like, didn't Carrie Lake just get? mean, don't some people get in trouble and can't why is that? Working? I wish I had a great answer for that because it's the right question to be asking. Why are we allowing um, a Supreme Court justice who has his mama's house paid for by a benefactor to just dodge questions? Dick Durbin was like we're not going to call Clarence Thomas to the Senate. We won't subpoena him cuz he's not going to respect the subpoena anyway. Because well, he's on a boat. Well, because you just told him that you're not going to do it, like truly. I
1: mean, that's just a whole nother. But but to your point,
0: I think that honestly, so so there is an there is like an objective answer a little bit to it, I think, which is that lawyers in the legal profession have a tendency to fetishize process and democracy in ways that is unhelpful. We like to, and I'm using the royal we for lawyers here, think that our colleagues, whether it's in a law firm or in law student classes, yeah, sure, we have ideological differences, but we're all sort of on the same team in the law. The law is a space, kind of like medicine, where it's supposed to be neutral in some ways. Let me tell you that was always bullshit, but lawyers subscribe to it incessantly and so we are the problem. It's me, I'm the problem, it's me. But- Folks are doing, so, you know, there was a bunch of um, complaints filed around uh, Justice Kavanaugh and a lot of open questions around his behavior and conduct because those were allegations that were raised, not when he was a sitting Supreme Court justice and not subject to a code of ethics because isn't that neat, but when he was on the lower court and those lower courts do actually have a code of ethics, they went away. People are protecting themselves and they're protecting their own. And Liz's Liz's point earlier about, you know, the fact that this is about control. The anti-choice movement is a movement that is regressive in nature and it is designed to keep certain people out of full and complete civic life. That's the goal. Women, non-binary folks, anybody who literally does not at all fit a very specific patriarchal construct is fair game at this point.
1: Right, and... You know, and, it, and the respectability nature of how we've been asked to fight, uh-huh. you know, like we also have to break that mold, you know, yeah. take inspiration from the Justins, take inspiration from BLM, take inspirations from people who said you do not get your, mod- your description of what decorum looks like is just another word for supremacy. It's racist because if you're going to keep somebody down, you do not deserve a civil conversation at that point. Like, our lives are on the line. I'm not bringing a PowerPoint presentation to a knife fight. I won't do it. I won't do it.
0: Really thank you to JJ and everybody at Boulder Valley for putting this event together, for helping bring Liz out. It is always lovely when I get the opportunity to do a little work and hang out with one of my friends. So thank you for the support of independent clinics everywhere and specifically independent clinics here in Colorado. Oh my God.
1: I love being here. Thank you. And thank you for having me. Thank you.
0: Feminist Buzzkills, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. New episodes drop Friday. When BS is popping, we pop off. And if you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feministbuzzkills.